God bless you. While you're standing, if you can take your Bible. Everybody's got their Bibles with them? Everybody walked in tonight loving the Lord? You appreciated the tests and the trials He and His mercy saw you fit to go through this week. Sometimes you might say that, yes, yes. All things at all times, in all places, no matter what's happening, no matter how you feel, no matter what you see, they will work together for your good. Paul said all things are for your sake. That means the flat tires. That means the pulled muscle in the back. That means anything in between. Any strife or argument with your family, any offense, any of those things, they're for your sake that you might surrender your life to the Lord and live closer than ever before. Turn to Revelations chapter 11 tonight. Revelations chapter 11, verses 15. I love that the Word of God is not grown stale. I love that it's not stagnant. I've been reading this book for a long, long time. I've read many, many parts of it so, so many times. And every time I go back and read something else, I get a little better understanding. He grows a little sweeter. And I see something I never saw before. Revelation chapter 11, while you're standing, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded. There were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. <clears throat> you may be seated tonight. The seventh angel sounded. That's past tense. There were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. I wanted to read to you a, a part out of, um, do I not have it? Okay, there we are. This is just a part out of Christ the Mystery God Revealed, and it's, it's jumps from paragraph 141 to 144 to 156, and I've, I've kind of touched on a lot of this just kind of moving around over the last few months, but I'm talking about God's threefold purpose, the threefold purpose of Christ from before the foundation of the world, a threefold purpose. And, and I, I wanted just to, before we get started tonight, this will be part seven of, <coughs> excuse me, changing our atoms, the rainbow covenant. We're still in that rainbow covenant. And that covenant is a token or it's a promise. However you need to understand it tonight, it's a token, it's a promise, it's his oath confirmed to you. Now, paragraph 141 in Christ the Mystery God Revealed, Brother Ram was talking about that first thing. The first thing that of that threefold purpose of God was that God wanted to reveal himself to the people. God wanted to reveal himself to the people. Now, the prophet, as you listen to this sermon, he said this purpose was before the foundation of the world. This purpose of God, this threefold purpose of God was to reveal himself to the people. Let's all this sink in real heavy tonight. This, I, I tell you all this many times. You're no ordinary person. You don't live an ordinary life. There's nothing normal about you as far as this world's understanding. What the world calls great, God calls foolish. What God calls great, the world calls foolish. They say one thing's up. He says that way's down. What he says is up. They say is down. Complete contrast, but from before the foundation of the world, the first thing was God wanted to reveal himself to the people. Now, 
Just so we do this real simply and real plainly and real deliberately, you're the people. Amen. You're the people that Elohim, that the bright light, that Shekinah glory that made Aaron's rod bud there in the, in the temple in the wilderness, that, that bright light, that presence, that Shekinah glory, that same one that talked to Abraham, that same one that was called Melchizedek, that same one that was in the, the, the midst of the furnace fire, that same one, its purpose and intent and desire, that same one that was pictured in that picture right there, his intention, his intention, his purpose before the foundation of the world was that he would reveal himself to you. Now, I say this a lot that you can find a a good bit about the Lord when you look at something negative as a negative contrast. If if two things, if two two items are polar opposites, if polar opposites, if there's a light, there must be a darkness. If there's a bright, there must be a dim. If there's a good, there must be an evil. You follow that? That's why I, that I look at things certain ways. So if Satan's all these things, and Satan's all these things, Satan has known him ever since way before man was created. Satan has known him. Satan lived in his presence. Satan worshipped him. Oh, you understand? Satan's been watching him a long time. So there's things Satan's picked up along the way. Hopefully. If, if you spend 10,000, 15,000, 25,000, however many years around somebody, hopefully you pick up something. So when you come across and you hear Satan's statements and things that Satan wants to do and sit in the temple of the Most High, I want to get worshipped by the Most High, he seeks to change seasons and times and laws. Anything that he can do is a contrast to a perversion the way the Creator set it up. We, we touched this recently with other in Genesis where it said, as long as um, the earth remains... As long as the earth remains, and in case you didn't notice, the earth is still remaining. That's 6,000 years ago this statement was made. He said seed time and harvest will remain. It's always going to be in a certain period of time from now until everything is, is burnt off. And it's been that way for 6,000 years. And it will always be this way until it's all burned off, until the, you know, the, the, the surface is burned off. It's not completely destroyed. He don't pep up another earth, and now we have this earth, and now we're all going to get y'all to move over to this earth. No, he burns this one off. He cleans it off. And just like he doesn't, he doesn't create you a new person. He takes you and redeems and restores you. He'll do the same thing in the earth. You understand that? So when, when Satan's desire to pervert and to tempt and to tear down and, 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 and deform everything that God has done, he seeks to change the times and the season. Satan is, though he's immortal, he works and moves in a linear, uh, uh, temporal fashion as well. He, he doesn't have, he, because he had a beginning and he has an ending. So he's got to get everything he's going to get done in that beginning to ending time frame. And you're like in, in a similar fashion to him. You have from zero till the day you check out or the day you rapture. You have, a, you have a job to do. You have a purpose and work to do. And you can live that life for the enemy. You can live that life, um, you know, one or two percent or three to five percent for God and the other 95 percent for the enemy. He's okay with that. He, he's okay with that. Let people tell you that he, you're a Christian and, but your life don't lie. He, Satan's okay with that whatsoever because he's got you deceived and he's trying to help you deceive anyone else. All the while telling people you're a Christian. Now, Satan's got to work in that same time frame just like you've got to work in your time allotted. We're each one given a certain portion amount of time and, and we're given from zero to, I always get that mixed up, is it 70 or 75 the amount of years you're allotted? And then God gives grace for others to live longer and that's his mercy. 
That's the Lord's mercy. You've got to get a certain amount done. Now, in God's purpose, if you believe truly that he knew the end from the beginning, that if he had a purpose for your life way back then, it ain't changed today. Now, each one of us have things we fell down and tripped up, made mistakes on, and seem like even though that we maybe have squandered our life or wasted our time, and, and, and I've done a lot of wasting time, and I've done a lot of squandering in my life, and, and you think, I, if I could have only given him another 20 years, if I hadn't wasted so much time in my own, stuck in my own head and, and things of this world, I could have lived my life better. But even in that time that, that, that you wasted, God's clock is still perfect and in order. And at the end result of that, your character will be cleaned up, straightened up to where that now you'll actually shine right. Yes, you wasted time. Yes, you were a prodigal. Yes, you fell down. Yes, you made mistakes. And you have all those things. But it, it, when you finally do step up to the starting line of God's purpose for your life, you've got a certain, you're, you're now ringing out a certain sound. You're, 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 you're emitting a certain type of light. Most importantly, you're portraying a certain type of character. There's your most important thing. Only thing you can take with you on this planet is your character. And it must be a Christ-like character molded in the fiery furnace. That's the only way you get the Christ-like character. You don't get it in a flowery bed of ease. You don't get it on a picnic. You don't get it on a, uh, anywhere but into the hardness of life. That's where you get that. And that's where Satan will try to tear you apart and say, well, now, yes, this happened. Yes, this happened. So you must be, uh, you must be a stony heart. You must be calloused. You must be rough. You must be abrasive. You must not have no love at all. Your arms must be like this. That's deformed. This is the power to transform. Way God is in, not to show up at the end all eat up and, and malice and bitter. No, the shine of uh, the light of Christ, just as clearly and purely as can be. So in the, in the learning of what Satan has done, you can see a part of what God wants. So if it was his purpose that you might know him, that he would reveal himself to you, that he might make himself known to you in a clearness, Never before imagined, never before dreamed. All the prophets of old have stretched it, strained it, wondered about it, but they didn't have an open book. They did not have an open book. Not until this day, what God's done on this side. I read to you about that seventh angel. That seventh angel sounding changed everything. If you believe the Bible, it changed everything. If you just get in the book of Revelation, just pick up from Revelation 2 to verse 21, chapter 21, and just, just stay in there what God used that seventh angel for. Now, you find him in Revelation 1 with all seven stars in his hand. All seven uh, messengers in his hand. Those stars were messengers of God that God could step in and use and do what he wanted to do. Each one <coughs> is an escalation. It's not... Literal, it's almost a step up. This one to this one to this one to this one. You notice how it's rising higher. It's like steps on a pyramid. Each one steps higher. Each is a greater understanding, a clearer understanding, a clearer revelation to where now you don't just know him as a redeemer. You don't just know him as a healer. You know him clearly as your husband. In a very intimate form. In a very intimate form. You, you would know your wife better than you would know any other woman you would, because you know how she gets up in the morning. You know how things bother her. You know the things that hurt her feelings. You know the things that you, you understand. A husband knows his wife. A wife knows her husband differently than you would know anyone else. So that's why your relationship with Christ is type as a husband to wife. It's to know him. You're not wanting to roommate. You don't want a roommate. You don't want to live all the countless ceaseless ages with, well, that's my husband. Do you know anything about him? I ain't got a clue. 
His ways are past finding out. He just, he don't tell me nothing. That's not God's purpose for your life. His purpose for your life is that you would know him fully, completely, clearly, beautifully. So when you see Satan trying to tear apart time, if in the beginning God's purpose was that you might know him, that he would reveal himself to you, that he would make himself Say it like this, plain. See, the reason why it's worded like that, there's none uh, more technical specific than your God. There's none smarter than your God. There's none greater. There's none with a better memory than your God. If you were to pick out of your mind the most greatest scientist your brain could ever lock on to, whether it be Newton or Einstein or, or any of those people like that, and say, well, my mind says that he's the greatest scientist, I guarantee you at a certain point their memory fails. They can only hold so much. So let's put 10 of them together. Let's put 50 of them together. Can they accurately hold 100 years of data stored in those 50 men's mind or whatever it was? Not possible. They can't stand there and tell you, rattle them all. This person was sitting here. They had this blanket wrapped around them. This person, the guy was sitting here. His legs were set like this. His Bible was, they can't give you details like that. There's only one that can So his intent, his purpose, he's the most smartest, the most brilliant that there's ever, ever been. But his purpose is to make himself plain so that you would know him. Or if you're five, God wants to make himself known. Think about that kind of a personality, that kind of a character that he wants to make himself known. Now, if, if we have time to, 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 to take a minute and, and get into that vast eonness of before anything was, and you find his heart purpose, and you, you find what God wanted for you, those threefold purpose, we'll get in the other two in just a minute, and you think about how that he was alone and he was lonely. He had you as a prefigure. He had you in the thought. He had you, but, but in this thoughts, in his thoughts, he couldn't fellowship with you. He couldn't talk to you. He couldn't ask you how your day went. He couldn't ask you what you thought about that. You know that sunset I made for your day? What would you think about it? He couldn't ask you those things because you were there in his thoughts yet to come forth. Now, as he sits there alone, and, and he, you know, Satan's desire is to pervert and deform time and seizing and changing, we're, we're talking about one that exists outside of time. That he knows the end, we'll say it like this, he knows the end from the beginning, he fills all time and space, time, light, matter, first three dimensions, he fills all three of those, he's there, but yet he exists outside of those, that those three in that dimension don't age him. You understand that he's not aged by being in this dimension. There's no age to him. So you, you, can you imagine that if before anything was, and, and we're not living in the seventh church age. We're living in the eighth day, the bride age, the prophet taught us. And the thing about the eighth day, if you go back to it's Leviticus, I never remember the chapter, that it, it goes to, as he's given those feast days, it comes up to what's called a holy convocation. And it, in effect, takes you back to the beginning. Now, if, if that's the purpose of a bride age, to present himself a bride without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing, and yet at the same time you have it where the, his bride has made herself ready. And you know that that's not so much, well, I've fixed me and I've done this. No, no, no. The way you make yourself ready is, Lord, have thine own way. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. That's how I make myself ready. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. 
He comes in and does the work. So the thing about the, the back to the beginning thing, I know a lot of people struggle with the, they, they want to say, you know, back to Pentecost. And there are some quotes in that saying about that Pentecostal blessing. And I love the Pentecostal blessing. Not, not saying anything negative about that. But what God has done in our day did not take you back to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. That's not what this word has done. This word doesn't even take you back to what Adam had in the garden. Now, you understand that you get everything Adam lost because, again, it steps up. It steps up. It steps up. So in that effect, you get everything Adam lost, but so much greater. You don't just go back to Pentecost. You don't just go back to Genesis 1-1. You go back way before the end. Can you imagine such a power that as he sits there, we'd say eons and eons and eons ago that he could bring you to himself even there. See, he's called a restorer for a reason. Can you, can you know him that way? That not just restore every relationship you got, not just restore your body, not just restore your mind, but he can restore your place in time. And not even just time, but he can restore your place in eternity. So do you think when you imagine such a honeymoon, such a wedding, such an eon of, of, of the ceaseless ages, that it's that way forward in the future? Or does he take you back where he was lonely? Let that soak in. Something the Lord's been sharing with me lately, and, and it's really, really thick, really, really heavy. And I, I know that I, if I got one point, 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 now let me start with, let me start with, point zero 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 point one percent that i'm doing pretty good because that's really really heavy threefold purpose threefold purpose let me get back to that so i don't lose all my time first purpose first thing was that god wanted to reveal himself to the people secondly to have the preeminence in his body of believers that is his bride that he might live in people now this makes a lot of sense why god's given me certain scriptures to read tonight there's certain that he gave me to read that I didn't understand, but now I do. That he might have the preeminence in, let everybody hear what I'm going to say, his body. His body. We, we worked on that Sunday and that Ezekiel, how that at first you see those four creatures, at first you see their hands, at first you see their wings, and after a while you don't see there no more. You don't see those wheels, you only see one hand. You see him working through you. They no longer see them. You only see him working through you. When anyone looks at me, don't let them see me. Let me let them see him. That he might have preeminence in his body. His body. And when we say this, I feel, I feel compelled. I feel uh, pressed. I feel so um, have to say this all the time so that we never lose focus that you are his body. You're not your own. There's not one thought that belongs to us. Not one idea, not one way, not one imagination. Everything I am belongs to him. Amen. I am his body. Amen. If you don't feel that way, you need to recheck your experience with God. If you think you can think your own thoughts, if you think you can go your own way, if you think you can say what you want to say, then he ain't got preeminence in you. Thirdly, paragraph 156. Thirdly, this part I love. To restore the kingdom to its rightly position. To restore 
the kingdom. Now, in the first coming of Christ, everyone's, uh, everyone's uh, assumption was that he was there to bring that kingdom on the earth right then, that he would take an 800-foot spear, scoop up all the Romans, the Babylonians, anybody that was not uh, you know, the Hebrew, what it was, and just cast them in the lake of fire, and now you have uh, the, the, the millennium reign right there on earth. That's what everybody thought. Your kingdom, your kingdom. Tell us more about your kingdom. Tell us more about your kingdom. Oh, that's great. When the armies get here, when the soldiers get here. He said, I'm not here to deliver you from that. I'm not here to deliver you from Rome. I'm here to change your, your, your avenue, your, 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 uh, your, your imagination. I'm here to give you audience with me. So uh, to, say, to understand that if, if, if it then it was his purpose to uh, redeem you, to restore you, to bring you back into fellowship, but his ultimate purpose, and I say all this many times, that, that you have a coming out of and a going into, that you must come out of whatever you was in, that's what redemption is, two parts, and go into Christ. No matter what you were in, God bought you from your pawn shop, and he brought you to himself that he might have preeminence in you. And now in that effect, in our day, the second coming in our day is that he might have preeminence in you, his body, and that his kingdom could be restored citizens of a heavenly kingdom you act different you think different you speak different you are different you are different have be able to restore the kingdom to its right position that fell by sin by the first Adam back to where he was walked in the cool of the evening with his people talked with them fellowshiped with them restore the kingdom to its rightly position <clears throat> now back to our chapter in revelations 11 seventh angel sounded there was great voices in heaven there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our lord so right here you're, you're having people testify what god wanted done has happened now this is in the future this is not yet coming to fruition but this will come to fruition <coughs> the, the, the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and 24 elders, the 24 elders, the four and 20, I always automatically say four and 24, but it's four and 20, 24 elders, four and 20 elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, which are and was and are to come because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned taken to thee thy great power and has reigned okay turn over to galatians chapter 5 galatians chapter 5 verse 1 Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage which is unbelief which is sin which is you doubting who you are don't go back to spiritual amnesia don't go back to doubting what God said about you don't go back to anything of this world uh, come out from that be not entangled with the yoke of bondage behold I Paul say unto you that if you be circumcised Christ shall profit you nothing for I testify to you again I testify again every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law 
Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Verse 7, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey truth? Bondage. Who did hinder you? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little leaven. Now, if you'll turn over to Colossians chapter 4. <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, so many things you can open up on that right there. A master and a slave in a bondsman day, whether it being uh, your reaction and your response to your head, whomever that might be, or even to how you would serve the Lord as far as your walk with the Lord, that he would be ultimately your head, or even so much so that you would understand that, that, that uh, me bringing my own body in subjection to the will of Christ in me, that his will would bring my body, my, my body as a servant to him, to him the master. You follow me? There's so many things that can be open with that one. Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer, watching the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. God opened unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Now, you understand that he's sitting in chains as he's writing this letter. That's what he means by that. I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm sitting in chains for the gospel of Christ. And he would say that I, I don't care if it takes my life. I'm going to preach his gospel no matter what it, it's going, no matter what it costs. That, that's what it will be. So I'm trying to tell you that this door of utterance that was opened up was to speak the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Now, we just, we just uh, quoted to you uh, God's purpose was to reveal himself to you. And that purpose stretches back to before the foundation of the world. So as Paul sits here 2,000 years ago, roughly, that, that, that purpose that he's trying to prophesy to you through the Holy Ghost, breathing upon his prophet, Hebrews 1.1, that in some dry times and divers matter, God spoke to his servants, the prophets. That's the way God speaks. So you have a prophet sitting here, and God's speaking through that man to tell you this door of this door of speech, this heavenly language, these words these, that's breathed upon you by your husband, that you would know this mystery in Christ. That you would know this mystery in Christ. He said that I may make it manifest that I, in this prophecy, in this utterance, in this uh, uh, illiter alliteration as, as it's transcribed and put down, he said that I might make this manifest that you might be able to gain this heavenly wisdom and understanding and revelation of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This utterance, this mystery made manifest. This utterance, this mystery made manifest. I know it's Wednesday night, so I hope you're at least catching me. If not, get the tape. I love the recording. That's, that's perfect for that. There's times I have to go back. I didn't even know I said that. That I may make it manifest. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. This is where most people don't understand this verse. Again, you're not owed nothing. You're not owed nothing. God don't owe you nothing. Amen. The very reason you're still breathing right now is grace. 
The reason you ain't dropped over and died in your seat right now is amazing grace. So the next breath you have belongs to him. The next breath you have belongs to him. Every single breath belongs to him. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. Let your speech be always with grace. Don't let no negative thing out of your mouth. Let your speech be always with grace. Just standing back there before it was time to come up, reading that excerpt from Christ the Mystery of God Revealed. Brother Bram said, don't you ever say nothing negative about your brother or sister. Don't you ever say nothing negative about your brother and sister. You know the quote that they put, Bethany's put on the board now? It's from, uh, uh, no, 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 it's from um, uh, the one about, you know, he's talking about Oswald having just shot President Kennedy back there in 64. He's talking about in that sermon how the, the man had got so wrapped up in his old mind that he couldn't just put his differences aside. He decided, however that worked out, trying to assassinate or whatever his part was in it. Regardless of, if you believe magic, bullet theory, whatever it was, the man was still there. The man still had that intention. Regardless if you think he did it by himself or not, that was still that man's attention. His, uh, uh, not attention, but it was still his intention was to do that. And he said, was talking about that. If you can't bitterly disagree with your brother or sister, bitterly, bitterly, bitterly disagree with your brother and sister, and when you get up, still love them with the love of Christ, there's something wrong with you. You all been reading that? You just put it on the board first time today. And there's something wrong with your experience. Everybody, as a church body, we understand that. There's something wrong with your experience. But that's okay. If you are there, if you do struggle with that, surrender your life. Lord, have mercy. Guess what? He'll do it. He has mercy. Surrender yourself before the awesome hand of a mighty God. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. That you may know how to, huh? Oh, yes, that's right. That you may know how to answer every man. And that's where a lot of us get in trouble. We get mad. We're quick to speak. Quick to speak when we're supposed to be slow to speak. First thing that comes out of your mouth is not something that's supposed to be coming out of your mouth. And you only make things worse. Verse 7. All my state shall Tychius declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Whom I've sent unto you for the same purpose. That he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Now we've got someone else come back behind him to be a fruit inspector. And Tychus is going to come back and tell me what your fruit looks like. And if, if Tychus' report comes back and doesn't look like what a Christian should look like, you're going to be getting some more letters. Well, you're supposed to be fruit inspectors, remember? Okay, bounce back to Colossians chapter 2. Just two chapters back. Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> for I would that you know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and as for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted now there's just a few verses that I wanted to get out of this but I, I felt compelled to read these others before as a body I would have you I would that you know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance, all riches of the full assurance, understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. Right, now we're back to his purpose and his will of the mystery of God. And it's not just brought it now in this paragraph, in this chapter, in this verse, the, the, about the mystery of God. Now he's put in this word acknowledgement acknowledgement not just understanding 
But now you've got acknowledgement. Because now you're, now you're sitting there as Rebecca. What do you say? You have Eliezer here. You've got the cup of the wedding ceremony before you. Ask the maiden, see what she says. Now your acknowledgement, is it right or is it wrong? This mystery, as it comes forth, is it right or is it wrong? And how you answer and your fruit of your answer will be proof of what's in your heart. Acknowledgement of acknowledgement. In whom, <coughs> the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, in this mystery of God and of the Father and of the Christ. Now, a lot of your, you know, the, the whole, um, the, the Trinity doctrine comes out of the Catholic Church. Now, for anybody watching, if you're Catholic, I'm not trying to hurt you or offend you. This is just basic history. The Trinity doctrine comes from the Catholic Church. Now, it's, it, and this is where so many of them get so stumped up on your Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That uh, if, if, if um, the Father, as we classify it this way, that if he was Jesus' Father, but Mary said, the Bible says, that she was moved upon by the Holy Ghost, making him her Father. So now he's got two daddies. And you can't have to, it doesn't work like that. I can, I can say something funny there, but I'm not trying to make this a, a, a funny podium, a funny place. But even in this scripture right here, Paul would describe it as the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So now he's trying to, if you were not to look at that, a revelation of the one true God, one Lord. Hear ye, O Israel, Joshua's words in the Old Testament and repeated in the New Testament. Hear ye, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is, the Lord our God is one Lord. One Lord. One Lord. That Trinity doctrine, that Trinity baptism never happened till Nicaea. Never happened till Constantine. I had a guy, a stranger, met in the Walmart the other day. He was telling me about the Nicaean Council and all that was done right there. I thought, man, I didn't know that, that was that well known by many people. It's just, it's just history is all it is. You can trace it back to all that they did, perverting the word of God. Uh, to the knowledge of the mystery of God and the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the reason why I stopped on that to make this point, in each uh, manifestation, in each attribute of the one true God, you see a part of his character. We say this all the time. You see a part of who he is as a redeemer, as a restorer, as Jehovah Jireh, as Jehovah Rapha, as the lifter of your head, as the one that brings the rapture. And you just keep going on and on. Okay, he's not just this. He's also this. He's also this. And he's also that. And my goodness, what a person. What, what a person. That way that I know when I go to call on him, he can't just change my flat tire. He can rebuild my motor. And if I go to call on him, he won't just rebuild my motor. He can put a new car in the same spot. And not just that, he can heal anyone sitting in the car and he can provide the money to pay for the car and then he can help me drive the car home safely to my house, which he provided there. And he also would defend me from anyone trying to take my house. Same one, all the same, same time. Everywhere you look, he's the same one. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Now we're talking about Nicaea. They come along, they chop God up into three pieces. They cut him up into three pieces. Lest any man should beguile you. You have these men that or, or we know the word, we know all these things. And now with our what we want, what the Bible states doesn't quite fit and what we want for religion. So let's take that out and that out and that out. You know, just keep cramming it in. And eventually it'll fit. And now you have the, the world system of churches. It's just a fact. It's just history. 
For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And again, this is that prophet Paul walking you through the fruit of the revelation and the acknowledgement in your life. You, you follow me? Though I be absent with you in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order. Joying and beholding your order. You understand that fruit comes forth in order. Fruit comes forth in order. We're talking about fruit inspectors. You don't have a, uh, a little bitty sprout and then it jumps right to full-grown fruit. You have a sprout, then you have the next stage, and the next stage, and then the next stage, and now you're green, but you're almost full shape. Now it must come to maturity. It can't be accepted as green. It must be ripened. Now, once it's ripe and ready to be consumed, now you have the full order. The full order. You can't jump from spout or seed straight to full fruit. You can't do that. God said as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, seed time and harvest, it's going to work this way. Uh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joy and beholding your own and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now, received, 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 received marriage covenant, marriage token, marriage ceremony. As you, again, the prophet Paul telling you as you've received Christ. Now, that scripture, because this Bible isn't just um, stuck in one moment of time. You say it like that because uh, it's a prophet because it's written by someone that knows the end from the beginning every verse isn't stuck 2,000 years ago the thing about God knowing the end from the beginning that God has hid himself according to the Bible in these pages so as you have a prophet uh, being breathed and moved upon by the Holy Ghost telling him write this down write this down write this down Paul might have even stepped back and said I don't really understand that. The Holy Spirit would say, not for your time, 2,000 years from now. Someone sitting in a church in Bentley, Kansas that needs this. And you see the same God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you've received him, as a bride for her husband, as you've received him, You've been quickened you've been made alive you're sitting together in heavenly places you are married to him as you've received him the opposite of received him is refused him you either receive him or you refuse him now you have that parable uh, where the, the jesus would tell it two different ways you have the man that comes to his friend and says that i've got a um i've got a uh, I, I need to borrow whatever it is and he's in the middle of the night the man's already in bed his kids and his wife are already in bed and he said but the, the, his friend's telling him i have this uh, this friend or family member that kind of just popped in on me about two in the morning i need to borrow xyz and the man tells him we're already in bed we're already laid down we're already down for the night Come back tomorrow. And, and the man keeps asking and keeps asking and keeps asking. And the man finally begrudgingly gets up. And you find a very similar parable in the widow and the unjust judge. The widow's asking him, how long till you avenge? How long you till you avenge? And the judge would say, I'm not going to answer it just because of her cause, just because of this. I'm going to answer her because she's perseverant. You know who's also perseverant? Your husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, standing at your door. If it takes a hundred years, <clears throat> as you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. 
He said, if my word abides in you, if my word abides in you, he said, if you're in me, if you're planted in me, if you're raised up in me, if I and you and you and me, ask what you will. He said, walk ye in him. It didn't say with him. It says in him. That's pretty just coincidental that the scripture would word it. Maybe they, they weren't real good with English language, and maybe they meant to say with instead of in. I don't believe that. <coughs> uh, <coughs> rooted to verse 7, getting down to the meat of what I'm after. <coughs> rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up. Rooted and built up. Now, again, just as simply as can be, your root is in the ground or at uh, the beginning of sequence or at the beginning of order or at the beginning of, of the process. So if your process, if your order, if your sequence began before the foundation of the world, that's how you can trace your, your, your destination because you can trace your origin. You can trace the root back to him. Now, I'm traced it back to him. I know that I have my part in him, not just with him, but I have my part in him from before the foundation of the world. So that's one part. We cover a lot about being a seed of God, whether you're a daughter of God or son of God. That's only one part. You being a seed of God is only one part. That seed also must be quickened and made alive and surrendered to. That's the fullness. Because you can be a seed of God all day long and be the worst, nastiest, Person nobody wants to be around. But even, even the devil said, well, that's seed of God, but I don't even like her. But once you've been quickened and made alive, now you're being built up in him. Revelations 4. Amen. Built up in him. I'll keep going. <laughs> Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Established. Established. Rooted and grounded and Established. You went from being uh, uh, maybe, let's say, maybe you were a cold, dried-up wood, a cold, wore-out tree that as the wind comes in, you just fall right over. Maybe you've been restored and made alive, and, and maybe now you've got good roots. Maybe now you're more green and more tender and can move with the Lord. Not a cold and stony and dried-up, uh, lukewarm, uh, cold and formal heart, but can move with any wind that comes your way. You see it? Rooted and built up and established in the faith. Established in the faith. The thing about this rapture that we're talking about, and that's what this change in our Adams is, is, is the study of the rapture and God's promise and God's covenant and God's token and God's guarantee that he'll bring it to pass. The, the thing about this is that, 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 he, that you're going to have a faith, that a faith will be made uh, manifest, as Paul just said, manifestly declared, or you would might say manifestly expressed in you. You'll have a faith in you not seen on this planet since before the foundation of the world when he started to speak you've had it in glimpses you've had it in a a a, a shadow and a type enoch elijah jesus old saints the testament of the old saints you had that but that was a as a shadow and a type but that's in you're just in a handful of uh you know so many but what God is bringing apart in this day, what God is bringing about in this day is a rapturing faith that's not even been dreamed of. It would be called by the prophet a super faith. Amen. You know what it is in just in simplicity that you believe every word he says? Because again, he's very simple. When I start talking about super faith, each one of us starts squirming in my seat. I had a headache this morning. I had a toe ache. I had this. I had this. It's just simply believing every word. He sent his word and healed all my diseases. 
He promised to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He promised he'd be in every one of my relationships, that he would meet every need. And I simply trust him. All unbelief is erased and rubbed out, and all that's left is a simple faith and trust that whatever he says is right. Established. 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 As you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. As you've been taught, abounding. As you See, faith comes by hearing. Hearing of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Was it D.L. Moody that always made that statement? I always pray, God, give me faith, give me faith, give me faith, give me faith. And then one day he read the scripture where it says faith comes by hearing. He said, I started to read the Bible and faith started to build and grow. And I realized that it's actually true. And the reason why that it's true is because you start to see yourself in the pages. I'm not just reading Paul talking to Colossians right now. I'm not just reading Paul speaking to the church of Galatia. I'm not just reading John's account of Revelation. I'm seeing that he's talking to me. Right now, right now, he's talking to me, and I believe it. Anybody else? You believe it? Okay. You believe it. Abounding therein, as you've been taught, as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. There we go back again. Uh, after the traditions of man, that, that's where organization, denomination had, their, had their, 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 their biggest downfall right there. We don't really care what the word of God says. Our, our committee, our council, our order, our, our idea is this. And it's contrary to this. But uh, what's the Catholics, uh, their favorite statement is that God uh, gave Peter the keys and we're the, uh, he's our first uh, pope, so we get to change whatever we want in the Bible. Same thought, same devil, same spirit, same unclean frog out of the pit of hell. You understand it's the same unclean frog out of the pit of hell. We might get to that in a little bit. Same unclean. What makes it unclean, it's contrary to. That's what makes it unclean. But if, if it's with this, then it's clean. But if it's not with this, it's unclean. <clears throat> uh, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him, verse 9, God's preeminence. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, is um, the Mount of Transfiguration, at the baptism, all the different times that that cloud, that halo, that light, that transfiguration, that emanation of, of cosmic light coming out from his clothes and all that, you have a voice speaking out of it saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased to dwell. And he says, Father, glorify me with the glory, with the, the glory that I have with you before the foundation of the world. And he says, I have glorified you and will both glorify you again. Now, in that head, if this is the head, this is the statement of the head, then the same statement goes for the rest of the body. If the statement of the glorification of the head, the same statement covers everything from there down because Christ is your head. Preeminence, preeminence, preeminence. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And here we go. Hold on to your seats. You're complete in him. You're like, no, I'm not. I made a mistake the other day. I slipped and fell down. I said this. He don't look at you that way. You must repent. You know the role of a Christian. You'll make it right. You offend somebody. You make it right. Otherwise, it, it better be eating you up. If it ain't eating you up, something's wrong. But in him, he says, you're virtuous, sinless, spotless, mine. He said, you're complete in him. You're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Oh, that sounds familiar. 
the head of all principality and power. See, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but principalities and power. But all authority, all power has been given to his body because she bears his feet and his feet goes over the head of every enemy. His feet, the head of every enemy. And you're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You believe those scriptures tonight so far? Okay, turn to Hebrews chapter 4 with me. I love that statement about what you do with an amnesiac. That you take them to places familiar, places they've been before. And that way that amnesia wears off when you start to see things that are familiar. And as someone that was with him in the mind before the foundation of the world, you walk back through those scriptures and you start saying, wait a minute, that's me. He's talking about me. That sounds really familiar. You ever come across scripture like that and something in your heart said, oh, man, I don't just feel like he's talking. I feel like he's talking directly to me. And this ain't no Zoom call. This ain't no FaceTime. Paul can't see me. John can't see me. Zechariah, Ty, none of these guys, they can't see me. He sees you. Amen. And the thing about him, he doesn't exist in our time. Difficult to, because we're bound by creatures of time, and it's difficult to think of him that way. And we're thinking, well, I guess, you know, this must happen, this must happen, this must happen. But he's not bound by time. I've heard all my life, well, the rapture must happen any day. It can't go no longer. It can't go no I've been hearing that for 40 years. It can't go no longer. Yet here we still are. Because it will go as long as he needs it. That's why the Bible says, he that letteth will soon now let. Again, he's got it all in control. All of it in control. Absolutely all of it. Not one thing out of his hand. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear. <coughs> That's the promise. See, here's rainbow covenant right here. This scripture can be looked at many different ways, but when you tie it back in with a promise. See, he told, he told Abraham, I swear, I swear. I, and there's no one greater to swear by. He said, but I make this promise. And Paul would even put it this, let us therefore fear, lest a promise be left of us entering into his rest. See, you've been given a promise of a resurrection. Check. If you go by the way of the grave, we will not hinder nor prevent them that sleep. First Thessalonians chapter 4. If you would go by the way of the grave, you will not hinder nor prevent them that, are, you know, that sleep. That we, we will not hinder them. So that, 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 that there's no hindrance there if you go that way. But you're promised a resurrection. So even if you go down the ground, you're still promised that resurrection, a rainbow covenant token, a promise. You're promised that. But you're also promised in that same, in that same promise, you're promised a rapture. Whether you're buried in the ground or walking around. Your promise of rapture. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise be left of us entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, uh, who do you think Paul's talking to? Is he talking to the unbeliever? He's talking to the make-believer? I don't even think he's talking to a lot right now. I think he's talking the silver dollar. You know what I'm talking about. He's talking to the bride of Christ. Again, I've shared that with you from uh, the March series on the seven seals till Christ the mystery of God revealed. If you go back and look at the titles and listen to those sermons, and one of those conveniently strategically put in there is, is your life worthy of the gospel? Is your life worthy of the gospel? If he was to step back and examine your life right now and you had to make a choice and it would, it'd be his choice. If he looked at your life right now and your walk with him, would he say heaven or lake of fire? 
You thank God for grace? Now, as far as us being worthy, and Lord, help me to surrender more. Help me wake up in the morning and surrender more. Help me from this before I go to bed. Let me surrender more, Lord. Let me spend more time in prayer. Let me spend more time reading my Bible. Let me dedicate all that I am to you because it's the very least that I can do. He said, let us therefore fear lest the promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. Faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. Faith did not bring about a rapture in them. I'm going to use these verses for talking about the rapture. Faith did not bring about a rapture in them. It will bring about a rapture in you that for us, unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Because all faith is, is I believe it. Because believers, believers, believe can you explain it not even a little but i believe it i believe it i believe it verse three for we which have believed get your hand up for we which have believed have believed do enter into rest enter into rest as, I, as he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter in my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Wait a minute. The works were finished from the foundation of the world? That, that's a guarantor. Guarantee. He said, it's already done. And it was uh, culminated. It was brought into existence uh, 2,000 years ago when a man hanging on a cross said, it is finished. It is finished. He said, I sworn in my wrath that they shall enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day. Now, again, I'm using this for our day, our time, our hour. We're not living in the seventh day. We've been brought up in the eighth day. You understand where he's culminating to. Wrapping up. The wrapping up to come to where you're at right now. If you can't see the Lord Jesus Christ on every page, go back and reread it again. He spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place, italicized, this place, this rest being a place, this rest is a place. It's not a day. It's not a keeping of a tradition or a commandment or a statue. It's a place. And the place would be the believer's position in Christ, which is also known as heavenly places a.k.a. heavenly places. The prophet would say, heavenly places is also the believer's position in Christ. That that ought to make you shout a little bit right there, that that my position in Christ is also known as heavenly places. That's my position. What's your position in the body of Christ? Heavenly places. (laughs) Heavenly places. You? I know you. I know, but I'm still there. I'm still there. Praise God. Not by my works, not by my choice. It was his mercy. His mercy. Verse 6, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today afterward, today after so long a time, as it is said, today, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Hear his voice. The bridegroom, the shout's gone out. The cry is made. The bridegroom is here. 
You have ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. Behold, the cry goes out, the bridegroom cometh. Then the bridegroom comes, and five of them have no oil. They don't have the Holy Ghost. That oil is a type of the Holy Ghost. You must have it. You must have it. Them. Hear his voice. Hear his voice. Hear his voice. I open tonight in the scripture of Revelation about the seventh angel's voice, which is not that man's voice. It was the one speaking through him who would say something like this. William Branham has surrendered his voice to me. Amen. William Branham didn't say that. You know William Branham didn't say that. You can feel in your soul that ain't William Branham speaking. That if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Verse 8, for Jesus had given them rest, and he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. But verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. A rest, a rest in him. Let us therefore labor, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Is your life worthy? Is your life surrendered? Is your life submitted? Lest any man fail after the same example of unbelief. Well, they don't believe him. Again, they don't believe him. You belong there? I don't really know that I do. But you do, if he says so. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than... I, I love Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is quick and it's powerful. We just covered uh, over all principality, all power, everything Satan's got, every, every lie, every deceit, every vanity, everything Satan can muster, project, or, or uh, bluff into... God is over that. It's powerful. It's quick. It, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is, it's italicized, is, it, he, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And again, we're back to that cave in 1947 that angel of the Lord tells him. He says that you to tell the people that your thoughts speak louder in heaven than your words do on earth. He said, you tell the people your thoughts speak louder in heaven than your words do on earth. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. <clears throat> now, uh, let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm actually making pretty good time. Praise the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5. The Word of God is quick and powerful and thorough and revealing and plain. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1. And again, this isn't necessarily what I'm after, but I love to, to build up with what his thought is to getting to what we're after. And you can understand what it took for the man to be able to say it. You understand where he was at and what he went through to still be able to step up and say such a statement as this. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Not just heard about, not just read about in a book, not just been described through a movie, Passion of the Christ, or any of those things. He said, I'm a witness of it. I know what it cost. I know what it cost. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. A partaker of the glory. I don't know if we'll get to Matthew 16 tonight, but we'll pray the Lord. We'll see. 
partakers of the glory, partakers of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, uh, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy, filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. If you were to jump into Jeremiah, you get a very clear, crystal clear um, a picture of what a, a pastor that does not surrender their life to God looks like, what the negative contrast of this statement looks like. It's very, very scary. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. It's hard being an example to the flock. It is hard. Not that you don't want to live your life the way that it should be lived, but when others don't fall into the same example and they keep struggling, falling back the same things, you think, man, am I not living this example hard enough? I got to live this example a little bit harder. You just keep living. <clears throat> now, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, the boss, the actual boss. Now, I was listening to a brother uh, day. He brought up Paul Rader. Paul Rader is the one that wrote the song Only Believe. And Paul Rader told about a dream that he had that, that he was working in a logging camp and he was trying to get these logs up off this hill down to this camp. And he kept trying to pick it up and pick it up and pick it up and he couldn't get it with his own strength onto it. And he sat there and he tried and he tried and he knows it's his job to get these logs to the bottom of the camp. He can't roll them down the hill because there's trees everywhere. You can't just roll them down. They got to either be horsed out. You can't even horse. Get up there. So he's trying to figure out how to do this and then he's led to know to put them in the river and just ride on down the river and in his dream he, he hears this voice telling him this he said he'd heard, he turned around and it was actually the boss of the camp that was telling him how to do this and at one point he's on the log writing it down and he realized who the voice actually was it was the boss and he woke up screaming i'm writing on it i'm writing on it you surrender to his will god can do anything Amen. sometimes we got to get out of his way when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. That's kind of heavy. And be clothed with humility. Don't just subject yourself one to another, but be clothed. He don't say with fake humility. He don't say with put on. He says with humility. Because, again, the Word of God is quick and powerful and discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Be clothed with the humility, for God resisteth the proud, giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, we walk through all of these definitions, all these scriptures, all these itinerant, uh, 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 pertinent uh, purposes for your life. Some of them can be very hard. It can be a lot of a mouthful. It can be very difficult in your flesh. Almost maybe if you were dwelling in your flesh, seemed like you couldn't do it, and maybe it wouldn't even be worth it. But Peter wraps it all up with, he cares for you. If someone like we've described cares for you, then nothing is impossible to you. There's nothing impossible. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. <coughs> There's a next part of this, um, of this sermon, this series that we're in, and I wasn't sure if we were supposed to have started at Sunday, and I was worried of the different scripture that he did that I'd miss the Lord on that until almost the end of the sermon on Sunday, then I realized, okay, he's not done with this part. 
He just lets me know this is what's next, but he's not done with that part. So I even thought then maybe I'd start Wednesday on that next part, but it wasn't ready to start on that yet. He's got more on this he wants to show us. Amen. So his will, not my will. Amen. <clears throat> verse four, chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked and behold. After this, I looked and behold, and a door was opened in heaven. Now you notice I come back to this chapter a lot. I love this chapter because each one of us tonight sit here at differing, varying phases of coming to that door. Differing phases of coming to that door. We've shared about each one of us. You got married at different days to uh, different ones, accept him at different times in your life. It was not all at, you know, boom, February 1st, 2023. Every one of us stepped into marriage with him. No, it was your certain day, your certain day, your certain day, your certain day, but still one body, still one body. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened. It was opened, and this was what the cross did. This is the, the lion of the tribe of Judah stepping forth and, and, and blending all of that rainbow into this exact moment right here. And I say it like that because we're in that rainbow covenant, and it's a seven-colored rainbow that it's, in fact, seven bows that only blend into the next and blend into the next and blend and we find that you start right in revelation chapter one it's telling you who he is what he's saying what he's about to do and he gets it kicked off in chapter two now he starts in chapter two the angel of the church of the ephesus he keeps walking there and under those that are the overcomer and to the overcomer like ran to the overcomer and it keeps coming up through uh, smyrna from pergamos to thyatira keeps walking forward to the overcomer i grant to the overcomer i grant all of those things wrapped up blending higher 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 latest in church age the seventh church age seventh church age messenger to that seventh church age and now you're revelation chapter four it's all blended to where you're standing right now everything that was promised you're welcome to it so chapter four after this i looked and behold a door and this 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 after this was everything god promised and brought to pass everything everything so you, you say maybe in your life that, that uh, you, look at it like this. I've shared that with you with St. Martin where that uh, he had, I'll make sure I'm telling you, St. Martin had, um, had people that were, I don't remember exactly their, their, what brought it about, but they were unbelievers. <clears throat> and you might never have to go through this in your life, but it's available to you. That uh, it's the way this thing works in a resume. That St. Martin had these unbelievers that come to him and they were trying to say whatever it was about him. And he tells them, there was a tree, I've shared this with you before, it's on the side of a hill. I'm going to do my hand like this. There's a tree on the side of a hill. Here's the hill. And the tree is leaning like this. And he says, if you tie me here and chop the tree down, and if it falls on me and crushes me, then my God is not God. Here's the hill. Here's gravity. Here's the tree. Here's Martin. They cut the tree. It falls uphill, falls on them and crushes them. Now, you might not never need that in your life, but it's available to you. Yeah, another part of Martin's life, they, because he was protesting the Catholic Church and everything like that, they sent assassins after him as well. They break into his room one night. They break into his room one night. Assassins. I don't mean a thief. I don't mean someone's come out and take his flat screen or his uh, Rolex. I mean assassins. They have one purpose there is to end his life. They come in. He wakes up. He sits up. He said, here's my neck. Take it. They come at him. They're blown backwards out of the room. Now, you might need that one someday. It's available. 
How many more testimonies do you want to go to? And then you have Irenaeus. I can't remember the exact name of the place that, that he had. Um, I can't remember the exact number. So many other brothers and believers that went everywhere that he went that loved the Lord as much as he did and had most of them had the majority of the Bible memorized. The majority, they were carpenters, they were painters, they were uh, welders, well, not welders, but uh, blacksmiths and forgers and, and all these different men. And everywhere they went, they would build uh, little communities. And they would take those people there and, and work out waterworks and all these different things. And while they're there helping them plant gardens, plant fruit, food to be able to feed themselves, they're teaching the Word of God everywhere they go. This is what he did. They went everywhere they went. They built them houses. They plant gardens. So you're good. You're establishing the faith. All right, we're going to the next one. And they do the same thing over there. He comes up on a ground that's so desolate and barren, won't even grow weeds. And he's telling them, we can't even grow weeds here. The ground is so dead. He takes, um, I can't remember, he takes his hand, holds him there. He's walking through, sowing seed, praying and singing. And it's considered, by the time that book was written, to be the most uh, uh, plentiful, uh, uh, what's the word, abundant, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Fertile, property on the planet. Not just in the community, on the planet. You might need that. I love to grow a garden. You might need that. Well, you have all the conspiracies of what's being said about now, about the, the eggs, the, the, the crops, and you have all the different things. And whether it's true or not, because you know, it don't matter if it's true or not, because we still have an enemy whose plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. Whether he's using political, uh, ma- whatever he's using, it doesn't really matter to me, because that, that, you know what's going to happen, and you know what's eventually going to come. I do not care, because I'm looking at this promise that says, no matter what he does, I can overcome him. Not just my Lord, but I can overcome him. Let him throw his pesticide. Let him throw his acid. I can heal it. I can heal it. That's not because Sam Parker can. That's because the Lord Jesus Christ that lives inside of Sam Parker can. After this, I looked. After this, I looked, and a door was opened. Now, I'm right there. I'm right there. I've gained access back. Not just redeemed. I'm not just redeemed. I'm restored. You're not just redeemed. I'm restored. And now I'm standing there in that Shekinah glory, in that presence where, where if that, again, in the Old Testament, where wherever that presence was, if a beast touched the mountain, they had to be killed instantly. If a beast touched the mountain where the Shekinah glory was, just the mountain, that could be a massive mountain range. It might be a thousand miles, whatever it is. If he just happens on it, that beast must be killed. And I don't get killed, I'm welcomed. I'm welcomed. After this, behold, I looked and a door was opened. And the first voice which I heard were as it were of a trumpet talking with me. This next part, when the Lord allows us to get to it, is this voice. This voice. John says, and after this, this, the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, with me and said, come up hither, I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately, immediately, no delay, no, you know, I, I was in the spirit. Immediately. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Not three. We, we cover that. Uh, not three. John's kind of disagreeing with that Catholic doctrine. He's disagreeing with it. 
We're like, no, he's confused. He meant to say one here, one here, and one there. He said one sit on the throne. Is your Bible italicized just like mine is? Your Bible's italicized one, one, one sit on the throne, not three, right? And he, that doesn't say them, that's he, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone and there was a rainbow. There was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. This rainbow looked like an emerald. Now, in the message, um, Revelations chapter 4, number 2, Brother Branham was saying that when God made that rainbow covenant there in Noah's day, that it wasn't with Noah, it was with the earth. That it was with the earth, that he would never destroy it by water again. Noah was not destroyed. Noah was spared. Noah was saved. Him and the seven of his family, all eight were saved. They were spared. That token was to redeem the earth to restore the earth, to bring it back. And now you have, wherever this time, uh, this exists in a period of time, you have that same promise sitting there. That's what the rainbow was. Each promise brought to pass and still confirmed. Brought to pass and still confirmed. Well, you, you know, maybe, you know, no, still confirmed. It doesn't matter. Time doesn't wear him out. Time doesn't do any of those things out. In that same message, Brother Ram was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and how surrendered he was to the purpose of God in his life, the purpose of, of, of him, to because he had to surrender his flesh, just like you do. He had to surrender his flesh to the will, that will. That is his will, but it was the flesh had to be brought in subjection, just like we have to. And the prophet said that, that he so surrendered himself, he so surrendered his flesh that the Zoe eternal light of God shined through that body so bright it redeemed all mankind. That he so surrendered himself that the Zoe eternal light of God shined through that body so clearly, so brightly that he was able to redeem all of mankind. What can he do? And a surrendered, multi-membered bride body. What can he do? What can he do? The correct answer is anything he wants. Anything he wants. Anything he wants. Absolutely anything he wants. Rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. They're clothed in redeemed garments. Now, if John was a little bit more specific, maybe he could say it like this. I was on the Mount of Transfiguration one day, and the Lord Jesus' garments shine so bright, whiter than any fuller soap, and now I'm looking at these 24 elders, and they're wearing the same clothes. I'll read that again. Uh, upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads crowns of gold. This isn't, this isn't, well, because there's so many, we have so many colors of white now. You have dingy white. You have dirty white. You have country white. You have all pearl white. You have, no, no, the brightest of whites. No mark, no stain, no sin whatsoever. The what he had seen first in Christ, he sees also in his people. Spotless, virtuous, sinless, purchased, blood-bought bride of Jesus Christ. Turn over to Revelation chapter 5 with me. Kind of just trying to hit the highlights on this to get back to Matthew 16 if the Lord will allow. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 5, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne 
a right hand. Sat in the right hand of him. Now you know that sitting in his power. The right hand always determines the hand of power. And the reason why it's in the right hand is that way you're thoroughly convinced none can take it out of his hand. But understands. You don't take Satan can't take your name out. He can't put your name in. He can't do nothing to what's in that book. He can't. He's been trying for years and he can't do nothing with it. I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to even look thereon. And I wept much. What did Eve, what did Eve misconstrue or add to the word when she said, we're not even permitted to look at it? She misconstrued that. Said the serpent come at her so hard, he wore out and 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 wore out till finally she's like, not only are we supposed to not eat of it, not even supposed to look at it. Not even supposed to look at it. He, they weren't told not to look at it. He said, don't eat of it. Don't partake of that fruit. But now you have a book here that not even supposed to look thereon. This one's the secret. This one's the hidden mystery that's only hid for his, open for his redeemed. He said, no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was ever opened the book, neither to look thereon. And John says so simply, I wept much. I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Not just but to open it or to read it, but to look on it. One of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, to loose the seven seals thereof. He prevailed. He prevailed because he keeps his promise. And I beheld, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. Stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, or the rainbow covenant, or the promise. You find God all through it, everywhere you look. He's promised. He keeps his promise. He vindicates. He authenticates. He brings to pass. It had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all of the earth. All of the earth. That means under the sea in the caverns, in the depths, all of the earth. That, 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 there's a Christmas song that talks about that redemption blood of Christ, that it goes as far as the curse was found. As far as the curse was found, that blood went further. As far as that curse was found. <clears throat> That's why he's not playing around everywhere you're going to look, everywhere there is. There's no place not searched. And verse 7, he come and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them hearts and golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. The prayers in a vial full of odors. Verse 9, and they sung a new song. They sung a new song. They sung a new song. Thou art worthy. 
to open the book, to take the book, to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us. You've made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. They're, 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 they're yelling out this, uh, this, 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 this decree, this, this cry out that we see what you've done. And in effect, what you did, you made us a king and a priest. They're just sitting there. And they're watching his work, his finish. And their response was, you've made us a king and a priest. That's what he did. You've made us. And we shall reign on the earth. We shall reign on the earth. And then in verse 11, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. Anybody keeping count? You've got to keep hitting equals and equals and equals and equals, and, or times two, or however you want to do that. Many, 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 saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on, here we go again, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I whispering. Maybe they all were, got a group text at that point. No, he said, I'm screaming so loud, everybody everywhere heard me. I'm redeemed. I see my name. I see my name. I see my name. Blessing. <clears throat> Every creature heard him crying out, heard me saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and on the Lamb forever and ever. See, John sees this scene. John comes to that realization. John comes to that revelation. John sees his name on the book. And now John's responding the same way they are. Oh, yes, you have. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Now, I can't help but jump to Revelation 10, chapter 10, verse 1. All of these things that we just read bring about Revelation 10, verse 1 to 7. All these things we just read brings all of this right here into lineal fruition of time of now the time is ready. Now the culmination. And we read that quote to you recently there in Revelations um, uh, 14, 15, whatever it is, that the time of the harvest, the time of the sickle, take that sickle, thrust it in the earth, the harvest is here. For the harvest to here, to be here, you have to have the harvester to come down. Revelations 10, chapter 10, verse 1, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. He was clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. He had in his hand not a little book closed. You're looking at a finished work. Not a little book closed. And now you're trying to guess and peek up and I don't know what's in there. No, no. Made plain. Come unto me. I'll make this plain. You know, should be able to, he who is a thirst, uh, Revelation 22, he that is a thirst, he that is a thirst, the spirit and the bride say come. He that is a thirst, come, drink freely. He has in his hand a little book open and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. His right on the sea showing domination, showing ownership. He cries with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. 
And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and he swore by him that liveth forever and ever. Again, a swear, an oath. Swear by him who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Here's back to our, 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 uh, the prophecy in verse 7 that we started with earlier in the scripture in Revelation. But in the days of the voice, John is brought forward. John does not belong in our time. John was from that time. John was brought forward. John is standing there as this is being doing it. He's about to write. John says, I'm about to write. And they said, no, you must seal these things up. It's not yet time. But when the seventh angel's voice sounds, now is the time. So right here in verse 7, but, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, everything that John was told to seal up has been made finished. Made clear, made understandable. He said that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God shall be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Right there's back to Hebrews 1 1, proves that scripture to be true. Then you jump to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it proves the scripture to be true. You cannot have the second coming of the Lord without those scriptures lining up. Can't do it. See, I was talking to a fellow the other day, and he was trying to take individual verses from the Bible to prove what he was saying. He never would really say anything, but he was trying to jump to this scripture, to this scripture, to this scripture, and nothing ever lined up. And he was trying to prove a point, but I said, and I'm not disputing what it says. I said, but that doesn't correlate and line up with everything else that it says. So if, if that, you can't take it and cram it into the Bible. You can't take your pet doctrine or your idea and cram it through the Bible. It's got to go frontwards and backwards. And if it's a revelation of God, it will do what? Go frontwards and backwards and backwards and forwards. You'll find it on every page. Because there's no such thing as a interpretation, not with God. Okay, we're here. Matthew chapter 16. You can give me just a few more minutes. I apologize for speaking so slow. here's the prophecy and the, and the issue that they have. Revelation, Matthew chapter 16. Now, as I read to you on Wednesday night, I told you as I started the service that, that it's interesting to me, I say interesting, that, that when I, I, that I feel to led to go a certain way and I know that the next scripture to go to and then when I go to find that scripture, I can't find it in the Bible. And then I know to jump back to read something. And I told you that Wednesday night. And then it did that. I had on my heart to read something to you. And I went looking for that and I couldn't find it. And then I thought, well, the next thing is this verse right here. I read that verse to you and then I open right up to it. And I thought, that's strange that he would fit that so perfectly with what was prophesied there. I actually thought it was strange. Then you step back and start looking with it. And I think, once again, I'm very dull. Very, very dull. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And nobody stops to break that sentence and question down. You just said you're the Son of Man. That's a big deal. 
That's a really big deal to make such a statement. You, and, and I say this about in the, in the show, The Chosen, I think it's in uh, season two that, um, that he goes in the temple and they, they might have it backwards. I always, it depends on who you read, whether it was backwards or forwards. And I, sometimes I think that didn't happen. Then I go back and find the scripture. And I'm like, oh, that actually did happen. So, but anyways, um, they have it where he heals the man with the weathered hand of the temple. And as he's leaving there, they're yelling at him, telling him to get out. He's walking out. They're walking through the field. Uh, he, everybody's hungry and they're standing there and Peter picks up something starts to eat and while he's eating that he looks at jesus he realizes it's the sabbath day and they're not supposed to eat on the sabbath day and he looks at jesus and jesus said go ahead he lets him go ahead and do it as they're doing that that priest comes running up to him and they're just ripping him apart just tearing him to shreds and this and this and this and this then he makes that statement that i am the son of man and the man froze in his tracks that statement meant a lot to them. It meant a lot to them. More so than you being in the message for all these years, Luke 17, 30 doesn't have the same impact that it should in the days of the voice, in the, when the Son of Man will be revealed. It might not grab you as much severity as it should, what it meant when you tie it back to Daniel's prophecy. The Son of Man. When the Son of Man is revealed. When the Son of Man comes forth. Not the Son of David. Not the Son of God. That Son of Man is a revelation. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Pilate can tell you that's probably the Son of God. Pilate can tell you. Everybody else that saw him creating fish, creating bread, creating all those things, that's probably the Son of God. No man can do those things but God. That's their testament. No man can do those things but God. If he's not God, he's got to be the Son of God. They're, they're obviously able to understand that. Look, I can see him. That's got to be the Son of God. But most of them miss that he was the Son of Man. That the revelation of what him in that form would be. Yes, he's the Son God, it's the vehicle, it's the, it's the, the body, uh, automobile that God would condense himself down into to walk in human flesh, to redeem you, to redeem his wife. That's always been the purpose. But to step forth and say, there's a revelation that they're all missing. So this revelation that everybody's missing, I'm going to ask you, my disciples here in Matthew 16, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? You just said that you're the son of man. Now, most of them could quote to you Daniel's prophecy. Most of them could, because that's how they, they, they didn't really write it down. They would, it'd be a prayer, so maybe not all of them, but at least some could quote to you. Now, wait, when Daniel said about that statement, and you're saying that you're that person, Philip and the Greeks would come to the, Philip and say, we want to see Jesus, and they come to Jesus, Philip, the Greeks get him, he comes over to him, and they said, show us the Father, and it will suffice us, and Jesus stands there and says, have I been so long with you that you don't even know me? All right, we were looking for the Father, but you're saying you are the Father, and now you're saying that you're the Son of Man. There's a revelation of oneness there, of one person. There's a revelation whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, here starts their, 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 under, their um, let me, you know, I don't know, maybe, you, I don't know, it could be this guy, it could be this guy. Uh, they said, some say, some say, and you know, you know, if they're being honest, I for a while thought you was John the Baptist, but no, it wasn't me, a friend of mine, of a friend of mine, said that that was you, and I can't remember his name at the moment. 
Was it you? I guess, I'll admit, yeah. Some say that uh, thou art John the Baptist, some Eli- Elias, and others Jeremiah, so one of the prophets. And then he asks them, oh yeah, back to the wheelbarrow. He says unto them, and he, I heard a brother describe recently about a man's eyes. He said that this particular brother's eyes were, the way they were shaped, he said it was very difficult to look him in the eyes very long. He had such a piercing gaze. He said that people that, that he said that he knew him, and he said he was evangelist. He said he wasn't mean or hard like that. He said, but just his gaze, that he had the kind of eyes that, that if you looked at him a while, just kind of staring, and most people are like, they just kind of look right through you. Those kind of eyes look right through you. And can you imagine the Lord Jesus standing there, who do you say? And they start shrinking in their seats. He's still looking at me. And there's 12 of them sitting there. There was, how many answered? One out of twelve. Twelve of them were sitting there. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And he says, Whom do you say? Whom say ye? What's your choice? What do you say about it? Will you accept? Whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said this. Thou art the Christ or the Messiah. You're the one. You're the anointed of God. You're the chosen. You're the one that brings the passion of, of Elohim down to redeem us. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Again, revelation, that dimension, not this dimension. Revelation, you're, you're, getting, um, you're, you're getting taste. You're getting fruit. You're getting waves from home. It's kind of like if you're ever overseas and, and you get a letter from home and, and you, you know, yes, I'll be back home soon, but, but that letter means so much to me. It's from my home and, and it's a letter from home. He said, blessed art thou. He said, not revealed unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven, hath revealed. He said, no man, because you know, who, who told you this? Who told you that? That's not true. That's not true. Don't let no man deceive you. Paul kept saying this. Now, Jesus, the one whispering in Paul's ears, him, he said, no man told you that. He said, that come from God and only God. That's where that revelation comes from. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Again, grouping of sentences, structure of description and definition. He said, this come from your father who is in heaven. We agree with that. And I'm also going to say to you, not just that, but I also say to you, he said that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. This faith, this revelation. See, he was given a revelation, and he believed the revelation. He was given the revelation, and he believed the revelation. This rock, this revelation that I give to you, I'll build the church on it. The rock of revelation. Not on the little stone, that's what Peter's name is. Not on the Peter, not upon Peter. That's where the Catholics, they nailed that down. Well, Peter's the first pope because Jesus did this. No, no, the rock of revelation. On the revelation, he said, for flesh and blood, I will this to you. But upon this rock, verse 18, will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. Why? Because he built the smith, he designed the coal, he designed the fire, he designed all these things. And that also proves because he did that, 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 and that that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Well, how can you guarantee it? 
Because I designed the fire, designed the coal, I designed the smith, I built the human, I created his hands, I created this, and I'm telling you, no weapon formed against you can prosper. And that statement is a promise. It's a promise. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, uh, you know, establish his kingdom upon the earth establish his that was his preeminence that was his purpose and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and then he charged they should not tell any man this secret so if you move on down um uh, as we move through that um get down to verse 25 and do 24 then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him surrender himself. Let him submit himself. Let him give all of his all to God. He said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what's a man profited? What is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works, good or bad. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here. This is, he's talking to them right now. There's some of you standing here right now. I'm looking at you. You're feeling the same one on your face. You're standing on the same, you, you got me. The same people standing there. There are some of you standing here which shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Uh, has it been in the news lately how there were some of those disciples that never died 2,000 years later walk around live somewhere in Jerusalem now? Nobody? Never happened? Is His word true? Okay, we, we're good there. I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, jump to chapter 17, verse 1. The prefigure of a body change. The prefigure of a body change. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. Now, in the similar uh, verse that we chapter that we just in, the disciple that was laying on the breast of Jesus, the other disciples come to him. They're kind of unhappy that he's always the one just hugging Jesus. They didn't really like that. But if he's my Savior, you ain't going to get my hands off him either. Holy to thy cross I cling, with all that I am I bring to him. You ain't gonna get my hands off. So anyway, they're complaining about that. And he asked them, he said, what is it to you if he never tastes death until he sees me come? And because of him saying that, the disciples misunderstood, told some other people about it, and that was still circling around that John will never taste death until the second coming of Christ. That, that's, that's, you, if you go back and read that same chapter, it's what they're talking about. That Well, now he just said that John won't die until the second coming. Now, he said, there are some among you standing here that shall not taste of death. Chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. They were all three standing there, plus nine others. Peter, James, and John. And bring them up into a high mountain apart. A high mountain apart. Separated, moved from where they were at. <clears throat> and he was prefigured of a rapture in front of them. Transfigured. I don't know what you call transfigured. Um, he used to look like a man that if you looked like him, he, yes, he's 33 years old, but he looks like he's over 50 years old. That's what they said. How can you, not even being 50 years old, have known Abraham? How's that possible? First of all, if he just said, look 50, I don't want to look 50. 
I'm only 33. But you understand, he looked like that, and now he don't look like that no more. He was changed before their very eyes. He just said, there's some of you standing here who shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So verse 2, he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. White as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. This was the, this was the, um, the not necessarily, it's pre-tribulation conference call before Revelation chapter 11 happened. Come here, guys, let me go through everything you're going to do. Uh, appeared in the Moses and Elias talking with him and answered, then answered Peter, verse 4, and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. They just admitted that they were there. You, you read that too? They said, it's good for us to be here. If you back up to verse 28, he said, there are some of you be here standing here that will see the sun coming in his glory and won't death until. Now, they just testified, Peter did, it's good for us to be here. I guess his word is true. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. He needed to get his frequency tuned in or his binoculars adjusted because you just got to get a little bit closer. Again, our father Abraham was not just a father through Hebrew seed, but a father of faith. He looked at three and only saw one. He said, there's one right there. He wasn't messed up in his eyes. He wasn't been knocked in the head and, and you know, walks a little bit to the left as he goes. It wasn't like that. No, Paul looked at him with the revelation and said, that's the one I'm looking at. I don't care if I see 5,000. That's the one I'm looking at right there. Abraham had a revelation. He had this rock of revelation that Jesus just talked about with Peter. Now, he's standing there. He said, it's good for us to be here. Let us make a tabernacle for Elias, for Moses, and for you. While he yet spake, as he is making this, um, sometimes you just keep your mouth shut. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Some of the greatest words you'll ever hear, some of the best advice you'll ever get, hear ye him if you will hear my voice and open unto me and when the disciples heard it they fell on their faces their face and were sore afraid you imagine when i'm poking peter why'd you say that about the tabernacle thing <clears throat> when the disciples heard it they fell on their face and were for, sore afraid jesus came and touched them you find the same thing going on in revelation chapter one paul john said i fell to the ground as though i was a dead man Revelation chapter 1, go read it. I fell to the ground as though I was a dead man, and Jesus come and laid his hand on me. Did Jesus come and laid his hand on him? He said, these men, he came and he touched them and said, arise and be not afraid. You know, that we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I, I still can't get that, Brother Andrew, preaching about that element that God put in a believer's hand, that element which is so powerful that, that you can take it and not just heal someone's body through faith, but you can remove fear. Because perfect love cast out fear. And faith and love work together because they're relation, the prophet said. Not just heal their body, but the root cause of what's hindering the body is fear to believe the faith of what God said about them. Because again, all sickness is the devil. 
All sickness is some kind of demonic influence. You remove the demonic influence, the body will, will obey the word of God and come back to restore what it should be. It has to do it because his word says so. He comes along, he touches them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Only saw the Lord Jesus. And as they come down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, this is where so many people struggle. I have people all the time that will tell me that you know, this is obviously the last days, obviously the last days, the last days, last days, last days, last days. And they'll even tell you the, son of, the coming of Christ must be anytime soon, anytime soon. And, and I always love to, to remind them that the Scripture says, Malachi 4, verse 5, before that coming dreadful day of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will first send Elijah the prophet. So if the word is true, then where's Elijah the prophet? And most of them will step back, I didn't know the Bible said that. But it does. And now here's Peter, their same question. They asked him, they said, um, why then do the scribes say that Elias first must come? And this right here would be Malachi chapter 3, that prophecy of that Elijah spirit. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, that prophesied of John the Baptist. Now, they asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elias must first come? Jesus answered and said to them, Elias truly shall first come. He's agreeing with the word. That way you know it's God. That's the way you know it's what spirit it is. It's not an unclean spirit. He's agreeing with the word. Yes, the word says that. Yes, that's true. Elias shall truly first come and restore all things. He said, but I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not. And knew him not. But have done unto him whatsoever they wanted. They used the word listed. I, I think of the word listed as a list of things they wanted to do. They took his bowl. Your brother, they took his head off and put it in a bowl. But he scripture so said he did come. He did come. He's already come, and they didn't even know him, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake to them of John the Baptist. Another revelation. Oh, my goodness. The messenger, Malachi chapter 3, not Malachi chapter 4. That's Malachi 4. Malachi chapter 3, we missed it and didn't even understand it. Now, you also have John's own testimony of being that, you know, he saw him, he saw the light, he saw the rainbow, he saw the cloud, he saw all those representation of God saying, that's him. He points at him, he does his job as a prophet, said, that's him. And then you get him in a hard trial, in a hard test, and he's sitting in a prison, chained to the wall, in a drippy, moldy, mildew, probably rats running around, and he's going, is Jesus really him, or should we wait for one to come? Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let's all stand on our feet tonight. Don't have a, a good place to come to a stop, so I'm just going to stop right there. We'll pick back up on that Sunday, and don't forget anything I said, because we'll step right off on that on Sunday, and we'll get back to that promise. Charity, pull up that song, The Token. I apologize for keeping you so late tonight. <clears throat> when God
God spoke to Moses and told him what to say to the children of Israel in Goshen that day. Slay the lamb, take the blood, strike the post and the door. For I'll pass through Egypt this night And smite all the firstborn Let the death angel pass God's bride safe at last Through the token he gave that we could be saved. Oh, hallelujah, and glory to God. The blood's been applied, His Spirit abides, let the death angel pass. The sweet Holy Spirit is the token today, and all that is under it. God said, "Will the peace Death ain't 
seriousness of your word. We can appreciate the seriousness of this hour, Lord, looking backward through time with that first Exodus, Father, as the promise was given to the Hebrews that if you put this blood over the post of your door, that, that all the inside might be saved. And it was just the slaying of that perfect lamb that they could produce, Lord. But in our day, uh, blood has been put across our doorpost, Father, that, that doesn't dry up, that doesn't get used up, that doesn't get wore out, that, that is good until, Lord. What a promise you've given to your people. We understand, Lord, that, that many on this world, they have spurned your judgment. They spit in your face, Father. The, your, your Bible says that the, they've trodden out the, the ripe wine press of your wrath. That cup is full to overflowing, that you'd mix nothing with it, Lord, that it would be the pure fury of your wrath. And that's to those that have turned you down, that have walked away, that have happily taken that mark of, of anything that's contrary to you. Despite how good and merciful and, and clean and, and readily available you are, there are those that do believe you. There are those that do love you. There are those that's hearts say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want, whenever you want, whatever you say, Lord, I say yes. I say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I love you. We love you tonight. We appreciate your mercy to each one of us tonight, Lord. As we stand here, we can, we can start testifying, each individual person, how many times Satan's tried to kill us, tried to take our lives with all kinds of weird ways, yet he's failed every time, Lord, just proving that you have a purpose for us, that you protected us, you protected your people, you kept us alive, no matter what the enemy throws our way. We say thank you to that, Lord. We appreciate your mercy, Lord. I pray you let us not short, or let us not fall short of that prize or that finish line of, of that, that, that hope that's laid up before us. But, Lord, let us run. Let us run harder and stronger and faster than we ever have before. Let us not give up. Let us not be lazy. Let us not look to one side or the other. Let us focus on you. Draw us closer, we pray. We surrender all that we are. Bless my brothers and sisters as we go our separate ways. Help them in their tests and their trials that they've yet to go through this week. Lord, I pray that you'd be near to them, that no matter how hot the flame, how much that pressure or that press or whatever might come their way, Lord, that in every single second they would know that you're right there in them. In every part of the fire, Lord, Lord, draw us near to thee, we pray. Bless us and strengthen us. Bring us back safely on Sunday, Lord, and another opportunity to scream your praises with all that's within us, to shout the songs of home, Lord, and thank you for being so good and for another opportunity to be fed by your word, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. Bless all those that watch the recording and have mercy on us, Lord. We surrender all that we are to you. In your lovely name.